Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. We're in August, and a couple things I want you to notice today. First of all, I want you to know I'm wearing a tie. Did you all see that? There are a couple things about that. One is I want you to know that I own ties. And secondly, I know how to tie a tie. And uh, to be honest, yesterday I did a funeral in Effingham for uh, one of the senior adult ladies, 92. It was good to go to be with Jesus. It was actually a fun funeral. But she was one of those who really thought her pastor ought to wear a tie and was kind of gracious most of the time when I didn't wear one. And then the next time I did, she made sure to tell me how good I looked with a tie. Uh, But the other reason I wore it today was just sort of set in context that you understand that my tie is probably not going to really affect the quality of my sermon either way. You do understand that. And, And as you are looking for a new pastor, probably he's not going to be a tie wearer because that's kind of the trend in churches all across the country that ties are kind of fading out in banks and in office places and in churches. And so I also, by the way, have a voice in the back of my head that is my mother saying, son, you really ought to wear a tie when you preach. And so I always feel a little guilty when I don't. But, uh, but I, there is something that when you get a new pastor it's not going to be his appearance that's going to be the main issue. It's going to be what he says and what he does. And sometimes we get hung up on appearance, and substance is a much bigger deal as far as God is concerned. And he doesn't really look at the outside, although clean and neat, probably okay. Uh, But just kind of thought I'd throw that out there for a little bit, is just keep that in perspective as you are thinking about the next pastor. And by the way, I came across a really cool Emmanuel Baptist Church polo shirt that I'm going to wear one of these Sunday mornings just to check that out and see how that works. But, uh, but today we are going to start in the book of Philippians. And uh, I kind of alluded to that as far as a little bit of introduction Uh, This is one of the letters that Paul writes to a basically good church. The church Philippi is a good church by all kinds of measures, and and that's kind of appropriate, I think, as Emmanuel Baptist Church. You have the right to perceive yourself as a good church, not a perfect church. And by the way, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. You will probably mess it up. There aren't perfect churches because churches are made up of sinners, sinners saved by the grace of Jesus, but sinners nonetheless. So there aren't perfect churches, but it's a good church. And over the next few months, I expect us to hear some of the things Paul says to a good church and probably be good for us. And so we're going to start doing that on Sunday mornings. Uh, Tonight, We started talking about the miracles of the Bible last week, how the Bible came to be. Kind of going to take that another step tonight. Uh, If God has given us such amazing book, what should we do with it? So that'll be this evening. But uh, as far as this letter, there are a couple of themes that it's a very short letter. Uh, One of them is joy. 
In fact, in the few verses we're going to read this morning, that word joy is going to come about. And I believe 11 times in this, this little short letter, he speaks about joy or being joyful or rejoicing. In fact, in the fourth chapter, you get to that amazing chapter or verse where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And by the way, if you didn't hear me, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. That's kind of a powerful thing. And so joy is one of the, the amazing themes of this letter. Uh, peace, contentment. In fact, Paul's going to talk about some contentment in his circumstances, and that's kind of where we're going to maybe settle in this morning. But uh, he talks about peace and the peace of God, which uh, is beyond comprehension, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's a, another great theme. But one of the themes is just being thankful. In fact, in this very first few verses, he's going to talk about thankfulness. In chapter 4, he's going to say, be anxious for nothing, but when everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be named known to God. And then, in one sense, this letter is a thank you letter. I mean, that's really what it is. The church in Philippi had taken up an offering, and they had sent it to Paul in the hands of a young man by the name of Epaphroditus. He takes it, and basically this is a thank you note that Paul sends with Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi to say thank you for the gift. I mean, thanksgiving is sort of just wrapped up in it. And to be very honest, those ideas of joy and peace and thankfulness really almost are beyond comprehension when we begin to think about the circumstances that Paul is in, and that's kind of where we're really going to settle in today. So, today I have my English Standard Version, is what I'm reading out of, and it begins in chapter 1 of the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who were at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. It's just kind of a casual reference to those spiritual leaders, and we're kind of focusing on deacons and on pastors, that role. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace was sort of the general greeting in Greek-speaking circles. You used grace in letters formally. Shalom, peace, was the word that you used in letters uh, and in greeting people in Jewish life. So Paul covers both bases because there are both Jews and Gentiles in the church. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from this day, from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, in that very first section, I thank God uh, every time I pray for you. I have joy in my heart. I've often wondered how long prayers, Paul's prayer list was. Can you imagine how many people he prayed for and how many churches he prayed for and how long it took him to get through his prayer list? My dad uh, is uh, 98, and he prays for 41 people every day. Now, he's got other folks he prays for, but 41 he never misses, and I'm on the list. Karen's on the list. My kids are on the list. All the great-grandkids are on the list, and he works through that prayer list on a, a regular basis. In fact, 
if I miss anything when he goes to be with Jesus is I will miss probably his everyday praying for his family. I have a feeling it makes a difference. But that idea of, of that kind of prayer list. But Paul, as he's praying for them, begins to speak about this joy and this thanksgiving. But I want you to understand a few things that maybe one of the most powerful messages of this letter is that those things, joy and peace and thankfulness, are possible in the midst of any and all circumstances. The first circumstance is you know that this is one of the prison letters. Paul is in prison when he's writing this. We don't know exactly where. We know there were a couple different things. Most of his time, after a riot in Jerusalem, as a Roman citizen, they had the right to appeal to Caesar, and he did that. And consequently, he took a ship and a trip, and he went to Rome under the guard of a soldier, and then he came, and by appealing to Caesar, he was waiting for a trial date in which he would stand before Caesar, make his case, and Caesar would decide his fate. And that was one of the rights that every Roman citizen had. So that's why he was there. But while he was waiting for that trial date, he was in prison. Some of the time, he was in a rented house when he had money. In fact, if you get to the book of Acts, it says he was at least two years in his own rented house. He was kind of a political prisoner, which meant he could pay to have his own lodgings and his own food. And we understand probably he had to pay for the food of the soldiers who guarded him at all times, but he was still a prisoner. Some of the time, and the suggestion is probably when he's writing this letter, he's in a place called Mamertine Prison. Not a very pleasant place. Pretty much catacombish caves underneath the ground that were just part of the, the geology, and they called him off and walled him off. And very likely, he was in Mamertine Prison. He's there, and he's writing a letter while he's in prison, not free to do the things that he wants to do, in prison, and he's writing a letter about joy and thankfulness and peace. Doesn't that just blow you away? But not only that, he's in prison with the understanding, and evidently the way it worked is that Caesar heard your trial whenever he got around to it. So he was there at least for two years and maybe longer knowing that on any day when he woke up, there might be a summons. He would be called to the house of Caesar, and there in Caesar's courtyard, he would be cased, tried, and convicted or set free. And under circumstances, if he would have been convicted and been guilty, he would have been put to death. So you can imagine every single day waking up not knowing when the day is over, whether you're going to be in prison or free or dead. Now that's kind of a strange circumstance to be in, and Paul was in that circumstance every day. And so can you imagine him sitting there in prison, he's writing this letter, and he's talking about these kinds of things in the midst of those circumstances. If that's not bad enough, while he's there, other Christians out in the world are running down his reputation and talking evil about him. In fact, he addresses it in the first chapter. He gets there in just a little bit, and he, and he goes on and he says, I, in fact, I'm, I'm even okay when they're running my reputation down because at least in the midst of it, they're also talking about Jesus, and that's okay. I don't know if they had, uh, well, I don't know, Twitter was going and social media was going and they were saying, yeah, that Paul, he's a jailbird. He's got a prison sentence. He's, he's not that kind. And, and his reputation was being trashed everywhere in Christianity and there's nothing he can do about it. And he's still sitting there talking about thankfulness and joy and peace. 
If that's not enough, he's obviously having financial struggles. Because when you get to the fourth chapter, he does very basically say thank you for the gift that they've sent. But he talks literally in situations of saying, I've learned how to get by with absolutely nothing. And evidently, while he was in prison, very likely there were times when he really didn't know. And, and as a political prisoner, they just didn't feed you like they do in the prisons today. You pretty much had to pay for your own food. I mean, there were times when he was undoubtedly hungry, and yet in the midst of all of those circumstances, you can picture Paul sitting down in those circumstances with those things going on around him, and he still writes this kind of letter. It says to us pretty clearly that circumstances do not have to control our spirits and joy and peace and contentment. But not only that, then he says, and every time I think of you, I thank my God in every remembrance of you. I mean, he's writing the letter to the church of Philippi, so he's going back in his mind to everything that happened there. And by the way, Philippi was a pretty amazing city. Uh, it was on an interstate of sorts. The Ignatian Road was a road that went from Rome all the way across Europe to northern Greece. That's where Macedonia and Philippi was and went right by it. In fact, Karen and I have had the chance to be in Philippi, and you can still see remnants of the Ignatian Road uh, big slabs they paved with marble because that's what the mountains were made of. And there's still sections of the, uh, the Ignatian Road still available. And then it went on to the, to, the, uh, to the east, and it was right on the middle of it. It was a great Roman colony, a big city. And basically, he's thinking about everything that happened while he was in Philippi. And that kind of makes this whole thing of the circumstances get even bigger because if we were to go back to Acts chapter 16, that tells us about what happened while he was in Philippi. And that kind of blows my mind just a little bit that he's saying, every time I remember that, I'm, I'm thankful. <laughs> well, first of all, you need to understand that if you go back to chapter 16 in the book of Acts, Paul did not want to go to Philippi. I mean, he didn't even want to be there. Twice in chapter 16, he wanted to go. By the way, he was in Turkey uh, Asia Minor. He was in the regions of Galatia and Phrygia, and, and that's where he was, and he wanted to go east. By the way, which way is east right, right now in this building? Okay, he wanted to go east, and God said, no, you can't go that way. Now, I don't know how you are when God tells you you can't do stuff, uh, when God tells you you can't be a pilot, or God says, no, you can't go do something. It's always a challenge, but he wanted to go east, and God said, no, you can't go that way. And then a little bit later, he tried to go east again. He wanted to go into Asia, and he wanted to preach the gospel in Asia. And, and that would have been a fine thing, but God said, no, that's not where you can go. In fact, then he finally gets over to the seacoast, and then he has that vision of a man from Macedonia. In fact, we occasionally sing, send the light. I have heard the Macedonian call today. Well, Paul had a vision of a guy from Greece, Macedonia, and Philippi was the main city of Macedonia, saying, come over and help us. So the bottom line is, when he's remembering Philippi, he's probably remembering, I didn't really want to go there. You ever been someplace you didn't really want to be? You ever had a set of circumstances that took you to someplace you wish you weren't? God does stuff like that. And sometimes we find ourselves, and he didn't want to go there, and yet now he's saying, God, thank you for that. Man, I'm, I'm thankful every time I think about having to get there, even though that's not where I wanted to be. Secondly, when he got there, he 
didn't really want to go there, and when he got there, it wasn't turning out the way he wanted. If you didn't know, Paul kind of had a normal plan of ministry, and it involved going to a synagogue where there were men who knew the Scriptures, and he would sit down and he would talk with the men about the Scriptures and about the Messiah, and that's the way he normally did ministry. And on this occasion, for whatever reason, he's not able to go to the synagogue, and where he ends up is with a group of women outside of town at a, at a riverbank. Now, not to say that a woman's Bible study is not a good thing or a bad thing, or a, I'm not saying anything about that, but I'm just telling you, I don't think that's where Paul really wanted to be. That's not the way he'd been doing ministry, and it occurs to me that we have been doing ministry for the last year and a half in a way that's taken us out of our comfort zone. I mean, it's just not been church as normal, and, and yet as he's remembering that, that's not the way he wanted to do. Now, it turned out pretty good. He met Lydia, and she said, come and stay at our house, and she got to know Christ, and they were right there, and she got baptized, and a lot of good things happened, but, but that was not the way he wanted to do things, obviously out of his comfort zone. And sometimes in the midst of our circumstances, we find ourselves in places we really don't want to be, having to do things we really wished we didn't have. And yet when Paul writes and says, man, I remember that, and I thank God for that today. If that wasn't enough, he uh, eventually, very quickly, got to where there was a girl with an evil spirit who started following him all around. And she had an evil spirit, and basically she began to follow behind them and cry out loud, and he couldn't even have normal conversations, and literally he was in a situation oppressed by evil. I don't even know how to experience all of that. But today, I have thought that sometimes you and I find ourselves where we are just in the midst of an evil world, a sinful world. I talked recently with somebody who in their workplace, there are just a whole lot of unbelievers in their workplace, and the language and the, the stories and the way they talk, and it's just an oppression on their own spirit because they are suddenly in a world where Satan and those who follow him rather than follow the one true God are just everywhere. In fact, sometimes I get just almost discouraged just turning on the news and watching what's going on and the decisions that are happening in the world. And it's almost a, a difficult thing to maintain a good and a positive spirit. It's hard to continue to be joyful, and, and yet he's being followed by this oppressive spirit until he finally turns and casts the spirit out. But even in that spirit of evil, he's still saying, I thank God for everything that happened there. If that's not bad enough, then when that occurs, he is suddenly arrested. And not only just arrested, but he and Silas, and Silas is with him now, are both taken, and they are beaten. And understand, he's a Roman citizen. That was not appropriate. In fact, Roman citizens could not be beaten uh, without a trial. It's one of those things we've kind of carried over, innocent until proven guilty. And Roman citizens couldn't be beaten. They could be held in jail for a period of time. But that was one of the most terrible things that you could do. And he and Silas were beaten without a trial, without acknowledging the value of their Roman citizenship. And they are thrown in prison unjustly, having done nothing but have freed a girl from an evil life and given her a new life again. And do you understand how can you even imagine that? And then he's writing back, and every time I think about that, every time I remember that, I just thank the Lord. I, I'm thankful. In fact, I even have a joy in my heart in the midst of all of that injustice. I wonder as even he's writing if he maybe reached back and feels some of the scars. He was beaten several times, but he remembers that. 
Then, of course, you know that while he was there, you had that amazing moment that he and Paul and Silas, there at midnight, having been unjustly beaten, having all of these things going on, then they have their little prayer meeting. And they begin to sing praises to God, and God causes an earthquake, and they are set free. And you have that amazing story where the jailer comes in, and, and uh, his life is in jeopardy if the prisoners escape. That was kind of a Roman deal. And, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And I really think he was probably talking about, if, what, what do I have to do to keep from being put to death for letting all my prisoners free? Uh, but Paul gives him the real answer, you've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's how you can be saved. And so he does remember that. So there are some good things in the midst of some of these challenges. Then, of course, the next morning, he's pretty much ceremoniously said, get out of town. And not by sundown. Just get, go. Uh, Now, by the way, there is an interesting little piece where you and I as Christians can take advantage of our citizenship with all those, those privileges we have because Paul does get just a little bit ornery and he says, hey, I am not leaving town. You guys beat me. We're Roman citizens. That's not right. If you want us to leave, the judges better come down here and release us personally. And it says specifically the judges were afraid because they knew they had violated Roman law. And it was a Roman colony with lots of Roman governors coming through. And they were in serious trouble. So they come down and they pretty much beg them to leave. But have you ever been someplace where you weren't welcome? kind of like the world's a private party and you didn't get an invitation. (laughs) There's those moments, do you just see all of this stuff that's going on? And then he says, every time I think about that, I, I thank God. And there's a joy in my heart. There's probably one more thing, and it's a little bit of a stretch. I don't know if you've ever noticed in the book of Acts, the first 15 and a half chapters are written in first person excuse me, third person, they. Uh, they went here, they went this, they did this. That, that's the way the first part of it is. And in Acts chapter 16, and I think it's verse 10, the pronouns change in the book of Acts. They've always been third person. They did this, they went here, they went there. And in chapter 16, verse 10, it starts first person, we. We went here, and we went there, and we went this, and the rest of the book of Acts is written in first person. Now, Do you all know who wrote the book of Acts? Well, Luke wrote the book of Acts. And what was Luke's profession? He was a doctor. He was a physician. Now, it's a little bit of speculation, but basically it suggests that the first part of Acts, Luke writes because they told him what happened. And starting in Acts chapter 16, while they were in in Philippi, in verse 10, Luke starts traveling and from that moment on is never apart from the Apostle Paul in the rest of his ministry. Now, we don't know for sure, but we know Paul had physical issues. Nobody knows for sure. Maybe his eyesight. There's lots of speculation. Nobody knows, but it seems likely that at that moment, while he was in Philippi, medical issues may possibly become so significant that he needed a traveling physician to accompany him, and Luke joins him. And so he's writing the rest of the story because he was there personally. Well, where does all this take us? Begins with, I don't know what your circumstances are today. 
Oh, I'm beginning to know some of them. I hear some of your stories, and I know what's going on, and I'm hearing about who's got COVID and who's had some other things and who's been in the hospital, and I'm starting to get into that and starting to pray for folks in Emmanuel and getting some names right. And by the way, I think if I get your name wrong and pray for you, God can figure that out. He can work that out, whether I know your name or not. But if you're not, every one of us came to church this morning with a set of circumstances, and the bottom line is some of those circumstances are probably not very good. I mean, that's just the way life is. This is a uh, man's days are few and filled with trouble. If you live in this world, there are going to be issues. There are going to be because we live in a sinful world, individuals around us. We're going to have circumstances. We're going to have medical issues. We're going to have different kinds of things. Karen and I are just getting to that place where if it wasn't for doctor's appointments, we wouldn't have any social involvement at all. Uh, you know, that's kind of okay. We've got to be at this place and this place and get this stuff taken care of. And that's kind of been the last couple of weeks. So, But if you've not got difficult circumstances, hang on, because you will. And one of the most subtle messages about the book of Philippians is we begin to read all these comments about joy and about peace and about peace that doesn't make sense to the world, peace that passes our understanding, peace that literally can guard our hearts. He's going to talk about the evil in the world. In fact, he's going to suggest to them there's going to be persecution, and it's on your way, and so get strong right now. I mean, there's so many things that are going to be a part of this letter, but they are all messages that say, regardless of your circumstances, we have a God who is in control. We have a God who is with you in the midst of those circumstances. We have a God who provides joy, and joy is not just because everything is going good in your life. Joy is because the presence of Jesus Christ in His Spirit. And there is a peace and a contentment that God can give us in the midst of it. I've had more conversations in the last few days about about contentment and peace being a decision. It's a choice that you and I make, that we choose in the midst of our circumstances to find the peace of God, and in the midst of it, finding things to be thankful. I mean, we'll eventually get to chapter 4. And that verse that says, be anxious for nothing. I think we have come to be a society of anxiety. We worry more about things and are more fearful and understand we don't need to be foolish and we need to have wisdom, but there's stuff going all the way around us, and if you choose to live in anxiety, it will rob you of joy and peace, but literally the answer to that is this spirit of thankfulness in the midst of the circumstances. There's no way to read this without understanding that the first chapter's message is, yes, I've got stuff going on, but I can still be thankful because I choose to find the things to be thankful. And some of that's what you choose to dwell on. I don't think he's really worried so much as he's writing this about the idea of those scars on his back or about the the woman with evil just all around her filled with that spirit I think he's thinking about Lydia coming to know Christ, and I think he's about, by the way, he picks up Timothy just as he's on the way into Philippi, and Timothy's with him, and Timothy's learning about the Lord and growing in his faith and becoming the young pastor that he's going to be eventually, and and he's thinking about all of those things, and he's counting blessings even as he writes this letter. So I guess here's what I want to say, and here's what I think the Scripture says. I know some of you are going through some tough things. I know some of you are going to go through some tough things. I know some of you have been through some tough things. And in the midst of all of that, hold on to your faith in Jesus Christ. 
Don't let go of the joy. Don't let the circumstances take those things away from you. Hold on to them. And they are obviously, we have a faith that transcends the moment and the day. And part of it is looking back and seeing how God has handled the past and gotten you through things. And some of it is looking for God in the midst of this moment. And not dwelling so much on what is happening around us as who is living in us. And joy and contentment and a thankful spirit can still be ours. And today, in the world that we live in, maybe the greatest testimony certainly is what and how Jesus has entered our life. But if you and I can experience the joy and the peace and a spirit of thankfulness in this world, that will take the attention of other individuals. Father, we pray that you will bless us as your church. And that, Father, as individuals, as we walk through this world, we know there are struggles and challenges. And, Lord, from COVID to finances to economy to the, the political world, so many things around us. And, Father, it, it can be so easy to be caught up. And we thank you for that, that testimony by example of Paul, who in the midst of all of his circumstances still focused his heart and his mind on joy and peace and being thankful to you. Bless us, Father. Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's ibcbenton.com. Or give us a call at 618 439 3513